0: I want to begin this morning uh, by quoting from Jerry Seinfeld, of all people. According to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two. Does that sound right? This means to the average person, if you go to a funeral... You're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. (laughs) Well, somewhat related to that, not only might it be difficult to stand before a group of grieving people and offer a eulogy, it's often very difficult to even visit or assist or encouraging families that have experienced death. We often struggle with what to say or maybe what to do. We are working our way through Mark chapter 5. And Mark chapter 5 actually uh, covers about a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. Uh, The context, or the day, actually begins in chapter 4. And at the conclusion of chapter 4, we read about Jesus and a few of his disciples getting in a boat on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. During the night, they sail across the Sea of Galilee. They experience a storm, and Jesus calms the storm. Evidently, early in the morning, they arrive on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, And Jesus is immediately met by a man that Mark tells us is possessed with so many demons, his name is Legion. Jesus heals that man of his demon possession. He and his disciples get back in the boat, and they sail back across to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. So this morning, we want to pick up the story uh, once again, in chapter 5, verse uh, 21, we actually read a portion of this text last week when we discussed uh, the woman with the 12-year chronic disease that he healed. But he actually encounters Jairus before he deals with the woman. So let's begin reading in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, where Jesus initially encounters this man named Jairus. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, "'My little daughter is dying,' Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now let me pause there for just a moment and uh, just comment on a couple of things. First of all, this man Jairus, as a leader of the synagogue, would have been one of the more prominent men of his community. Now Mark does not tell us Uh, and and neither uh, do Matthew or Luke in their account of this event tell us exactly where Jairus was one of the synagogue leaders. Uh, It could have been Capernaum, uh, which was on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, a community where Jesus seems to kind of make his home base uh, for his Galilean ministry. Regardless, he is a very important man in the community as one of the synagogue leaders. Uh, This would mean he would be responsible for the upkeep of the synagogue, it means he would be uh, financially responsible. He would help to oversee worship in the synagogue he would be responsible for representing uh, his Jewish community to uh, the Romans uh, in uh, the location where the synagogue uh, was. So we're talking, again, about a very important man in his community. Mark tells us that he, he sees Jesus, comes to him, and falls at his feet. And so here we see, much like the woman... Uh, that Jesus is about to heal that we studied last week, he's kind of at the end of his rope. Right? His daughter, his young daughter, is, is dying. He evidently had heard about uh, Jesus. Uh, if indeed he was from Capernaum, maybe he had actually encountered Jesus previously. Maybe he had heard Jesus speak. But he knew Jesus could help him. And so he, he somewhat uh, just humbles himself, falls down at the feet of Jesus and asks Jesus to go with him. And it's kind of interesting that in Mark's account, Jesus makes no response. He just goes. He is just willing to serve. And so the journey continues then, Uh, with Jesus progressing uh, with Jairus and, again, this great crowd of people uh, following. And it is at this point where the woman comes up and uh, touches him. But I want to pick up the story again in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. "'Your daughter is dead,' they said." Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing?" Child is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. So in this second scene of of this encounter, Jesus receives word and Jairus receives word that the daughter has actually died. And uh, the NIV reads, Why bother the teacher anymore? And so you see a lack of faith on the part of the messengers who came to give Jairus and Jesus this word. Uh, the NIV uh, in verse 36 says, overhearing what they said, I really like Cliff's translation a little better. Uh, a, b- a better translation is Jesus just kind of ignores that. Right? Uh, he is going to continue. He knows what he is about to do. And so they arrive at uh, the home. He, he sees this... Um, Wailing, this crying, this grieving uh, going on. He makes this announcement that the child is not dead but asleep. In verse 40 says, but they laughed at him. Uh, A literal translation would be, they ridiculed him with ridicule. So they're poking fun at Jesus. They're not people of faith. They are not people who are convinced that Jesus has the power or the ability uh, to heal or to raise this young girl. And so then the third and final scene of this encounter continues with verse 41. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately. We have commented previously about the importance of the word immediately here in Mark's gospel. Uh, Again, the word is found some 80 times in the New Testament. Forty of those occurrences are found in Mark's gospel. And in this instance, it's not so much pointing to a series of events as they occur, as it emphasizes the power of Jesus. I mean, the the rising was immediate. Uh, Jesus fully took care uh, of this little girl. Immediately, the girl stood up, began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something uh, to eat. So, in this occasion, uh, in this uh, fuller context, Jesus has shown his power, first of all, over creation in calming the sea, he has exhibited his power and authority over the dark, evil forces of this world by healing the man possessed by demons. He has exhibited his power over disease in curing the woman. And now he finally, in chapter 5, shows his power over death. We're going to come uh, in just a minute uh, to, to some application points But we are in the midst of a series of lessons where we are emphasizing the third prong of our vision statement, which is to restore all things. And a few Sundays ago, in our very first lesson, uh, I, I began by emphasizing the simple message that Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom of heaven has come near." And we made the point in that very first lesson that wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is present. And now, 2,000 years removed from Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father, we as disciples of Jesus should make it a point in our lives to help people experience the kingdom today or as we've put it, to experience a little heaven while upon earth. And to me, that is the focus of this prong of our uh, vision statement of restoring all things, responding to God's plan to restore all things to Him. We will purposely bring Christ's love and hope to our community and to the ends of the earth. And so in each lesson, we have tried to emphasize uh, certain ministries or certain aspects of our Restore All Things ministry. Uh, we began uh, by uh, emphasizing Restoring All Things Without, and we heard a report uh, from some of our uh, team that went to Haiti back in uh, January. We have also emphasized other aspects of our Restore All Things ministry, and we'll uh, conclude next week with hearing about some more of those ministries. But one of the important aspects of, of this part of our vision statement reads this way. Providing a safe, loving environment for those experiencing grief divorce depression abandonment homelessness and addiction and so this church has been very committed for the past several years to uh, to provide that kind of environment uh, for people who are experiencing uh, difficulties in their life again from uh, disease uh, to death, from, from hunger to needing other financial assistance. And so this church, this congregation, very involved in a number of, of things to do that. But what I'd like to emphasize this morning, because of the story that we have just shared uh, for Mark chapter 5, is uh, how we uh, can better assist those who are grieving and we do that in in a couple of ways we provide bereavement meals and we have a a team of of ladies who who oversees that and takes care of of that when a family experiences a death providing uh, meals to that family another very important part of of grief support is a class that this church has offered actually for several years, and uh, for the past few years, Keith Bowman has uh, overseen that class or facilitated that class uh, on Wednesday nights, and I have asked uh, Keith to come forward for just a few minutes and share a little history uh, about uh, that class and perhaps ways this congregation, uh, again, has provided support for those Uh, who are grieving, and then when Keith gets through uh, to suggest some application points, how we as individuals might also better support those who are experiencing grief. Keith.
1: While we check this microphone out, uh... I guess I'll be addressing fear number one and fear number two. <laughs> Those of you that know me know I, uh, one, uh, I can talk, and so I am now on a timer. And number two, the second thing is I never write anything down, but this is too important. Um, after doing some research, we found out that the grief class actually started uh, with a bulletin article, November 22, 2009. So we're actually approaching uh, 10 years. Mike Bishop, uh, who was professional counselor, and Patrick Cannon started the class for three weeks, and it said uh, to get through the holidays, and it had to do with grief and it was called Making It Through the Holidays. Uh, I came on board in 2013 uh, uh, to try to lend some support, and here's what I found. Um, A group of people who were genuinely searching for hope. A very open group of people who had experienced nothing left to lose and nowhere else to go. It was a challenge to their faith and in fairness. It was a loss of a husband, a wife, father, mother, son, a daughter, a grandson or a granddaughter either by natural or accidental causes. What I learned from them we went through the several steps of grief and what we determined is just when we thought we were on step seven of eight then we were back at number one again and we might be very angry Um, what we found is after something happened, we wanted to rewrite the story. If I hadn't done this, this might not have happened. I was upset at the person when the event happened, and now I can never take that back. What I discovered is that holidays were tough. Birthdays, anniversaries, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. It was designed to be for the holidays. Ten years ago, we had many people come. We still average about 14 to 17 people. You may go by the class, and we may be laughing, and we call that good grief. (laughs) Uh, But a minute later, we may be passing the tissue around. We've dealt with... uh, People feel isolated because other people don't express themselves to them. That's one case. And the other case is when they do express themselves to them, they say things like, well, uh, they're probably better off. Or one of the worst ones was it was meant to be. Um, when you say that to somebody who's grieving, it's just like gasoline on a fire because it's so raw. It's not meant to be that way. My child wasn't meant to die in a car wreck. One of the common themes is how quickly things change. They were like this and now that restore all things. that can never be restored in this life. Some of the things that I did learn from this class are to us that are not grieving, please say the name of the person who died. That's my timer. And Elvis is back. Please say the name of the person who passed. Don't ignore that name. Don't let that name die. It's okay just to say I love you when that person passes. It's okay just to hug when that person passes. In summary, we have between one-third and one-half of the class is from the community and the remainder is from our congregation. The grief class is not necessarily for everyone who's going through grief. But what I hear, the most common theme that I hear from people is, this is my safe place in this class. The world out there doesn't understand the way you folks understand. So I think there is a ministry and continues to be a ministry for people who have lost someone to death. Some people have children or kin folks that are incarcerated. Some people have dealt with divorce and issues that are associated with that. and some people are just depressed about life in general and they're grieving that way. Um, I think it's been a good outreach so far. I could tell you other stories of how God, I think, has intervened, but that's for another day. You all be blessed.
0: Thank you, Keith. I have noticed uh, on some Wednesday evenings uh, some participants in that class uh, have been eating with us in their simple supper time and so if you see someone that you maybe don't recognize as uh, a member here uh, please go up and just introduce yourself and thank them for being with us and uh, really appreciate uh, Keith continuing to facilitate that Uh, class, and he has some others, I think, that step in uh, from time uh, to time, and I I am learning that uh, of all the classes that we offer on Wednesday evening, that perhaps is the most important because it it does fill such an important need, not only for us uh, among our own church family, but uh, the community uh, as well. So not only is it perhaps hard to get up and, and speak at a memorial service, but again, as Keith has, has kind of hinted at, it's also difficult to know what to do, uh, to know what uh, to say, and, and so I want uh, to offer uh, a few suggestions this morning, some things that we see Uh, From Jesus in this story, and some things that I have learned uh, along the way. First of all, Jesus again is willing to serve. Uh, Remember the context of this story. He has sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore. Has, has dealt with this demon-possessed man, has gone back across the Sea of Galilee, and is immediately met with this great throng of people. And one of the highlights of, of this story, that there seems to be an emphasis by Mark that, that just how uh, large the crowd was pressing in upon Jesus and I, I know how I do in a big crowd, uh, particularly among strangers. And, and somehow, uh, Jairus gets through to him. And Jesus does not uh, ignore him. He is not bothered by this request. And again, in Mark's account, doesn't say a word, just proceeds to follow Gyrus uh, to his home, and, and so this, this willingness on our part, even though we may not know what to do, even though we may not know what to say, at least being available uh, to listen and to serve in whatever way we can. Number two, we are not responsible to raise the dead, but support the grieving, I think we understand the first portion of that sentence, right? Uh, I don't know that, again, that we fully grasp the significance of the second part. And maybe it's because we don't know what to do. Maybe it's because we uh, don't know what to say. Maybe we've been in that situation before and we've said the wrong thing. And so we just withdraw and we are unwilling to serve. So I want to share uh, two things uh, this morning that that I have learned in a couple of resources, or at least one resource that that I have used that have uh, helped me in supporting and encouraging those uh, who are grieving. Uh, First of all, about 10 years ago uh, as well, Keith, 2009, I spent a year working as a hospice chaplain, and uh, before beginning that, I went through a series of classes and uh, underwent some training to better equip myself uh, to minister to those people, and one of the the resources that I uh, was required to read and to even watch a video comes from a man by the name of Doug Manning. Uh, Doug Manning is a retired minister in Oklahoma City and uh, has developed a very good reputation as a counselor, particularly grief counseling. And you can find a number of his uh, resources on uh, the Internet. But in one of his books, and he makes this point in, in several, he offers this advice. The three H's, hang out, hug, and hush. Or as I say, show up, shower with blessings, and shut up. I mean, if, if, if you don't want to say the wrong thing, then don't say anything at all. One of the things, one of the things that I learned in that year as a hospice chaplain... Just the presence, just being there for a family was, was really the most important. And, and so I learned to say very little, if, if anything at all. Uh, always offered a prayer. Uh, notice uh, or remember throughout this, this entire 24-hour period, Jesus touches people. And he envelops people. And so don't be afraid to touch. Don't be afraid to hug. Don't don't be afraid to express affection because people are probably going to need it. So that's pretty good advice. And I've shared that on a a number of occasions to just hang out, show up, uh, hug shower with blessings, Uh, shower with touch and affection, and then just just touch, just be there. Just be willing to listen. Be be willing uh, to pray. Uh, Always uh, ended every visit as a chaplain with uh, asking the family, could we pray? And uh, I think maybe one time in a bunch of times, did anyone ever say no, prayer's really not, the thing to do right now, but that was a different family and a different story. So there are things that we can do uh, to help support and encourage uh, the grieving. The second is to read this little book by uh, Kate Bowler, and it's titled, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Now let me tell you a little bit about Kate. I think it was three summers ago that I went with Lori to Salt Lake City, Utah to attend a writer's uh, convention. She couldn't find anybody else to go with her. All of her girlfriends were busy, so I said, okay, I'll go. So we went to Salt Lake City uh, to this writer's convention, and one evening, uh, the uh, teacher at this workshop, invited us over to her home and cooked meal. There were about 50 of us participating in this uh, workshop, and we shared this meal together. Beautiful evening in her uh, backyard with her husband and a couple of big old dogs. And when dessert finally uh, came time to eat, Lori and I found ourselves sitting across from this young lady that we had not met yet. Well, her name was Kate Bowler. And uh, Kate begins to kind of share with us her story. She had just been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Uh, her young uh, son at that time was only about five or six years old. And uh, before she finishes telling her story, Lori and I are in tears and, and Kate is, is crying and, and we kind of had this, this bond. Kate is a professor of religion at Duke and really don't know why she was at this workshop because she had already authored a best-selling book on the prosperity gospel. And she is kind of the go-to person when you want to know about uh, the prosperity gospel that uh, is promoted quite a bit in our country and around uh, the world. And so last year, she released uh, this, this book that kind of tells uh, her uh, story. Uh, she is an exceptional writer and is very engaging. It, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. She can even be rude in, in telling uh, her story. But, but the price of the book is worth it for the two appendix at the back. The first is, absolutely never say this to people uh, experiencing terrible times. A short list, and she has eight things not to say. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You're going to have to go read the book. (laughs) And then the uh, second appendix, give this a go and see how it works. And then she suggests another five, six, seven things of some things to say or, more importantly, some things to do as we might have opportunity to reach out to those who are grieving or experiencing difficult times. It seems very apparent in this this 24-hour period that we have been studying that begins in Mark chapter 4 and continues through Mark chapter 5. And it's the theme of faith. And I don't know if if Mark does this intentionally. I kind of think he does. But at the end of chapter 4, as this 24-hour period begins... uh, Jesus kind of chastises his disciples for their lack of faith. Then in uh, the beginning episode of of chapter 5, when he encounters this uh, demon-possessed man, uh, this individual obviously had faith because he goes immediately to Jesus when seeing him arrive on the eastern shore of Galilee. Then as Jesus is making his way to the home of Jairus, and the woman who in her mind is thinking, if I can just touch the hem uh, of his coat, if I can just reach out and, and touch Jesus, I will be healed. And sure enough, that's what happens. And Jesus commends her for her faith. And then as the story continues and as the day progresses and as Jesus is now uh, accompanying Jairus to his home, he overhears the word or ignores the word that his daughter has has died. Jesus tells him, just believe. Just have faith. And so maybe maybe it is unintentional on Mark's part. But but we see this this emphasis upon faith and upon belief and and upon conviction of who Jesus is. And and our faith operates in a couple of ways. Uh, Our faith, of course, saves us. One of the themes of the Apostle Paul. And our faith, of course, is in Jesus. As we've seen displayed throughout this 24-hour period... Uh, Jesus has uh, the power to, uh, to save us and to heal us and one day will raise us from the dead. But it also is, is a faith that empowers us to serve. And, and that's really the whole point of restore all things. Whether we're officially involved in some ministry uh, as a part of that or, or just as individuals... Being willing to serve those who are hurting. Being willing to provide comfort to the bereaving. Supporting, encouraging, touching the untouchable as we've said and as we've seen exemplified by Jesus. And so this morning, maybe the question really is, you know, how, how's my faith? Am I truly convinced? Am I really trusting Do I really believe our faith has the power to save us because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross? And it also has the power to equip us to be better servants in God's kingdom. We're going to stand and sing one more song. And so this morning, just just ask yourself, where is my faith today? And if you need to respond to the Lord of all lords who has the power over nature, the power over demons, the power over disease, and even the power over death, it's in Him that we place our faith. If you need to respond to Him this morning, please come while we stand and sing.